0: hello and welcome to first flight a star trek enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of enterprise in succession first flight is a proud member of the tricorder transmissions network This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear.
1: Welcome, Enterprise fans. I am your co-host, Melanie. And I'm your co-host, Abby. And tonight, we are discussing Acquisition, the 18th episode of Season 1. This episode was written by Maria and André Jacques Maton, based on a story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. It aired on March 27th, 2002, and was directed by James Whitmore Jr. But before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert.
2: Tactical alert. All hands to stations.
1: There are potential spoilers ahead. We might end up talking about any part of the series at any time. But before we go any further, we have an announcement. Tonight, we are very happy to welcome a special guest to the show, our good friend Peter Hong from Twitter at PeterTrek1. Peter is the co-host of the Star Trek Book Club, and we really enjoy talking Trek with him on Twitter and hearing his expertise on Trek trivia, history, novels, and books. Welcome, Peter. How are you doing tonight?
2: Hello, I'm great. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Melanie. Thank you very much, Abby, for inviting me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to talking with you about, about Enterprise and about, specifically about acquisition.
1: Well, we're really happy to have you here tonight, Peter. And before we get into our discussion, we'd really like to hear your Trek origin story of how did you get into Star Trek? And if you can also tell us your connection with Enterprise.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, well, I got into Star Trek in high school when i started high school i joined the astronomy club because i was interested in astronomy for a few years and it turned out that everybody in the club were star trek fans except for me Mm. (laughs) and i never really heard of star trek before (laughs) so in order to participate in the conversations i ended up starting to uh, watch star trek uh turns out the at the club really all the club meetings were essentially star trek discussions we didn't really talk much about them the actual topic of astronomy, we all talked about Star Trek. So I started to watch TOS, which was the only Star Trek that was around at that time. This was in the early 80s. So I watched TOS in syndication, you know, seen every episode dozens of times, started reading the novels, started uh, going to conventions, and of course, then got into continue to get into Star Trek in the, the 90s during the TNG to Enterprise era. I did a rewatch. Actually, I joined Twitter in the spring of 2020 as part of, uh, you know, during the pandemic. And then I discovered this whole new area of Star Trek fandom through online. And then right around that same time, I did a my first Star Trek rewatch, which was of Enterprise. Here, uh, seasons one and two were actually the two seasons in the whole franchise I was sort of Maybe least familiar with. I've seen all the episodes. I, you know, watched the, uh, you know, all the different series. But those are the two area, two seasons that I wanted to refresh myself the most. That so I uh, watched the uh, full Enterprise Rewatched and I really developed a greater appreciation of that show uh, after that. So, yeah, you know, that's a little bit about my uh, background, Elsin uh, Star Trek.
1: Very cool. I love that astronomy club story. Yeah. <laughs> And I know that Abby and I are also so grateful to have met the Trek Twitter community and
0: met you. Very much so. And, you know, I've been to a few club meetings that were secretly Star Trek meetings as well. I feel that vibe strongly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: And now for a summary of the episode, it's time for Abby's Captain's Log.
0: Okay, Abby. Let's go.
1: Captain Starlog Supplemental.
0: Okay, acquisition. A group of thieves knock out the Enterprise crew and begin looting the ship while a still-conscious Trip is the only one who can save them and get rid of the mysterious aliens.
1: All right, it's time to deploy our subspace transmitters and get into this episode. I'm going to start things off with a question for each of you. What were your initial impressions of the episode? How did you feel about the Ferengi being on the episode? Did you like this one? And you can also wrap your thoughts into the cold open also. Peter, since you're our special guest, why don't you go first?
2: Okay, sure. Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. Uh, well, I mean, overall, I, I did enjoy the episode. Uh, I think it, you know, it was more one of the more comedic episodes on Enterprise. And it you know, brought in the Ferengi, which we haven't seen in, in a little while. So I think overall, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not, you know, while it's not one of my top, top episodes, you know, when it comes to Enterprise, it was pretty good. I did kind of reminded me of a couple of, of previous Star Trek episodes, in particular, sort of Starship Mind from TNG. Uh, so it has that sort of the diehard feel of it, of especially that first segment with Trip, you know, kind of sneaking around and, and trying to understand what's going on. So it had that vibe. And, and also TNG's Rascals, which was the, the one in which the, the Ferengi boarded the Enterprise D uh, for nefarious reasons. And that was the one when the, you know, Picard and, and some of the other crew uh, were, were children. But that aspect of the Ferengi taking over the Enterprise, or at least getting onto the Enterprise, it had a little of that, that vibe to it. For all, I, I did enjoy it. I think the thing that stood out to me and we'll maybe go over that towards the end. It was actually the guest stars because that was, you know, having three sort of Trek alumni uh, yeah. be part of it was a def- definitely a plus uh, when it comes to this story.
1: Yeah, that was super cool seeing the Trek alumni. And I, I hadn't thought of the Die Hard connection. That makes so much sense. Thank you. Abby, how about you? What
0: did you think? Well, I know that when this episode first came out, I remember in the very early days of internet chat rooms with all this, the supreme backlash about how the crew of the NXL1 saw Ferengi before they were supposed to know and they were introduced in TNG and all of this. And, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about that in the years since. And I actually, for watching this, went and watched the TNG episode, The Last Outpost, where they were originally introduced. And I honestly... I know this was a gimmick to get the Ferengi on Enterprise. I don't really care. I liked it. (laughs) It's a fun episode. Like, yes, it's stretching it a little bit thin that this could have happened and they would never have in all that time that they were repacking the stuff on the Enterprise, ask them the name of their species or any of that. But I don't really, it's not going to bother me when I watch this. It's not going to take away from my enjoyment. I, Mm -hmm. I like this episode and I like that we saw these as those more early TNG era ferengi they have the ferengi whips which are always fun they don't seem very practical but they're interesting yeah they have the the costumes that are more like that they have the mannerisms that are more like that era they have the same kind of music in the background if you notice lots of the like clarinets but that kind of is more of the spooky clarinet as opposed to the goofy clarinet that they used a lot in TNG when they were using the Ferengi as as kind of comedic relief or even into DS9. And I like those little bits of continuity. And I think that this coming at the end of, you know, the 90s era, the Berman era trek, whatever you want to call it, they had a lot of Ferengi things to draw on. So to go back and kind of fill in this little gap and show this, it was fun for me. I didn't mind it at all. And I really love that, you know, the entire cold open was done with not a word of English in it, it was all in in Ferengi. It, it was all spoken like that, and you, you understood quickly what they were doing, what was going on, what everything meant. And that was a nice, short, cold open. It's hard to get that much story crammed into a little bit. So I'm going to do the magic hand wave that we talk about sometimes with Techno Babble and just say, "Yeah, it's Star Trek, this stuff. We, we just love it even though this doesn't make 100 percent sense if you think about it, and go with just enjoying the episode that way.
1: Okay. Hey, yeah. Like the two of you, I also really enjoy this episode and I, I did enjoy seeing the Frangi on the ship. And I love that camera shot that they open with, with the back of the Frangi head. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Yes. uh huh. <laughs> and I thought it was pretty clever of them to get around the canon continuity, you know, by never mentioning who they are, revealing who they are. And then at the end, Archer warns them to stay away, and they do stay away for many, many years till the next generation. So I thought it was kind of clever, and I understand that there was a backlash, but for me, I don't care either. I thought it was entertaining, shall we say. Okay, let's talk about the part of the episode where the Ferengi are gathering all the stuff at the beginning. They're still speaking the Ferengi language. They've not woken Archer up yet. They're just gathering a ton of stuff. What were your thoughts on that part, Peter? Uh,
2: Well, I think one thing actually that came came up actually is related to the music. I know uh, Abby mentioned a little bit about the music before, but I like what I call sneaking around and hide and seek music that was done throughout the episode. (laughs) (laughs) And it was most relevant, I think, or the most obvious here when they were actually were sneaking around uh, during gathering things. You know, we were seeing the different parts of the ship. They were inspecting different things they want to take but in the meantime in the background there was that music that was very well done and i think that you know that added to the atmosphere of the show Uh, i mean throughout the whole show that was really the main style of music that was done so that was something that was interesting and and actually i sort of did a quick check that the composer of the of the episode was belton ray bunch and he actually scored about 13 episodes of, Mm. of enterprise but he was actually scored a lot of episodes of Quantum Leap. So I think he and, and Scott Bagula has, has at least crossed paths uh, before.
0: Sci-fi takes care of its own.
2: We're all, we're all related. So that was interesting. And, uh, but I think uh, going through the different parts of the ship and checking things out, seeing what's available, kind of helps set everything up. And like you said, I mean, only was spoken during this whole segment so that, but at the same time, we kind of knew what they were saying without understanding the language through their uh, nonverbal communication, through their faces, you know, what they were, how they were handling the different items. So Mm -hmm. it it was still, you know, know, we would still be able to follow along while, you know, while they were going through the, the, sort of the sneaking phase.
1: Yeah. I took a note about the music also because I love the music in this part. I thought it was fantastic. And I was hoping you would bring the name of the (laughs) composer. (laughs) I had a feeling you might know that. Thank you. That was really neat. And like you said, you you could understand what they were saying, even though we didn't have the translation. So I thought that was interesting. Abby.
0: All right. so. Here comes Abby talking about food on Enterprise again. So (laughs) I adore the part where they're in the mess hall, like going through and smelling stuff and and noticing things. Because I happen to notice and freeze frame because now I'm doing that on the food in this show. But when they pull out, it was Mook. When Mook pulls out the plate and it's got crackers and grapes and it's got a big hunk of something in the middle. Well, on freeze frame, you can see, it's a beautiful hunk of Brie cheese. And that cracked me up because he sniffs it and like tosses it back. And that would personally (laughs) made me laugh because my younger daughter hates it when I eat Brie because she calls it stinky (laughs) cheese. So I just, I was laughing so hard at that, but I love that chef must make a mean pecan pie because (laughs) that's what they end up taking is all the pie. But there was also lemon meringue pie on the table. If you noticed, some poor ensigns passed out in it, which is a waste because if chef is making two kinds of pie in one day, then that's kind of a special day. But I was I was looking at the food and then it made me think, you know, this gas obviously spread through the ship quickly and everybody just kind of fell where they were. Thank goodness nobody seems to have knocked their head on like the metal corner of a railing in engineering or, you know the some sort of pipe or whatever. everybody kind of landed because i would think you know they, there'd be some bumps and bruises some head gashes they tossed travis out of his chair like you hear the thud so Aww. i just i know and i'm just sitting here going well it's a really good thing everybody fell quite gracefully or at least not on the corner of anything so that made me laugh every time after that i'm watching the people in the background going all right who's Got the head bump, because that would have been me. I would have been the one who, you know, passed out and bled to death on the carpet because I hit my head. I really like this whole scene. I like them looking for the different things, not knowing what's valuable and what isn't, being just so Ferengi. And I love that they kept it without any translators, because it, it really made you focus on the acting more than it would have if they had had the dialogue in English. And that was just fun to watch this guest cast really chew the scenery in this first part.
1: Yeah, I agree. This guest cast was phenomenal. And I think they were a highlight of this episode. I think it would have been different with different people. So I really enjoyed that. And you're right. I didn't think about that with them getting hurt when they passed out. Good point, Abby. (laughs) Two points I thought of in this section were... First of all, it's a good thing Trip is an engineer and that he could get out of decon by using that panel, because if he couldn't do that, that could have become dangerous. So, you know, with him being stuck in there with baking Mm -hmm. like that, I was psyched that he was able to maneuver his way out of there, but not surprised. And the other thing I thought of was when they are taking the pieces of the ship away and stripping away the chairs and everything, it really got me thinking. You know how the NX01 is supposed to be less advanced than Kirk's ship and it's supposed to have that kind of submarine feel and mm-hmm. we've talked about this before about the the gray and the metallics and the metal and the streamlined feeling of that ship that submarine feel and when they were yanking Travis's chair out of its out of the floor and even looking at Archer's chair It gave me a chance to look at those items more closely than you normally would if they weren't being highlighted. And I think it really did show that those chairs aren't that comfy. And this is kind of basic stuff. And I like seeing the items of the ship
0: highlighted in a way that we hadn't seen them before. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, Melanie, I have to say something on that because I wrote down a note about Travis's chair. It's <laughs> on a track. Like I had never noticed until I was re-watching for this. His and he has that huge panel in front of him. And when they take the chair, it's got like maybe a three or four foot track that you can see it rolls back and mm-hmm. forth on. That was so interesting for me to notice. And I'd never I mean and it hits the door of the turbo lift on the way out. And I just had never put that together before. So I agree. It was so neat seeing that. And I was thinking through this whole thing, man, this was either the prop department's favorite episode <laughs> of the season because they got to go nuts or their <laughs> least favorite episode of the season because they had to go nuts. So I agree. The props in this are fantastic.
2: Um, there was one thing actually just dropped my memory of related to the when the crew was fainted or, or knocked unconscious in the hallway. I noticed that the crew sort of fell on the edges of the hallway at the beginning so they had enough space for you know a trip to run down without jumping he actually jumped later but at this phase he actually you know just, just run straight down and there was also some room for the Ferengi to kind of like move their carts as they you know go around so I just remember it was kind of funny that nobody fell <laughs> like cross the flop the hallway so that was appropriate fainting you know <laughs> convenient that was like convenient fainting on the show <laughs>
0: yeah <shelf. laughs> Well that made me think Peter I was always wondering now when it makes sense to me that Decon is right next to the Shuttle Bay or wherever because it shouldn't be all the way into Sick Bay to before they figure out if they have you know some sort of contagion on them but the fact that It took Trip as long as it did to get from decon to sickbay. Makes me wonder. Okay, so if they did come back with some like horrible microbe that you know the gel didn't kill fast enough and they went into shock, would Flocks go into the decon to treat him, or would he walk all the way like Trip ran around in his underwear and to get to sickbay before he treated them? It was. It made me need a map. It was interesting. I would love to see a map of the NXO one. I'm going to dig that off the internet at some point later tonight.
1: There must be some type of technical manual or something. We need that. Okay. So now the Ferengi have woken up Archer. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this initial conversation between Archer and Ulyss. Great scene. What are your thoughts, Peter?
2: Sure. Well, I really enjoyed the the scene with Archer uh, talking and negotiating uh very quickly with the ferengi i think he had the it, it reminded me of some of the classic ferengi conversations that we saw in ds9 with Cor and with the grand Agas and sort of that style of that back and forth negotiation and archer mentioned things like starting with you know half of the gold 15 percent, 30 percent, and just threatening to walk away from the deal you know so it's just brought me flashbacks to some of those classic conversation negotiation conversations that we've heard in you know on ds9 i think archer did very well i think he could have probably handled i mean he handled the ferengue pretty well and given that he you know haven't met anyone like them before it's uh, the first time that they've uh, they've met them so i think it was one of my favorite parts of the episode was types of sequences that archer had so
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I agree with you, Peter. Those parts were definitely some of my favorites as well, for sure.
0: Abby? Well, I have to say, first of all, I appreciate that while Enterprise's favorite feature for me is not that they put people in their underwear, at least they are equal opportunity in having people <laughs> hang out in their underwear because Trip is still in his underwear through all of this chunk of this. I have to say, I really enjoyed the scene with Archer being awoken and talking to all the Ferengi. And I really want to call out Jeffrey Combs in this scene and in all of his scenes in this chunk, because he has just played Shran and had some really intense scenes with Archer. And now here he is back. I swear he took lessons from Shran's Skeevy and Dorian friend because he, he's got some, some ick in there with how he interacts with T'Pol and, how he he really ferengifies himself. So bravo to one of the best actors to have graced so many different characters in Star Trek overall. And I really liked this scene. I noticed what I first I thought was a continuity error, and then realized that it wasn't when Archer gets hit across the face and his lip starts bleeding. That when you first see it, it's pretty gooey and then I noticed in my first rewatch I'm like wait a minute all of a sudden it's gone and then it's back oh somebody didn't notice that but the second time I watched through I was watching for it and I saw subtly you see Archer wipe his mouth and wipe the blood off and then the next shot it's not there and then it's Mm. back again bubbling up again and I was like that's actually even better continuity than I thought it was. So bravo to all those little things that I am actually looking for now that somebody obviously looked for then, because that's just really good TV. That's really lovely little details. So I really enjoyed this. I like, agree with what Peter said. And I also would like to call out the fact that the Ferengi are sniffing boots in people's <laughs> quarters here. and. Uh, We know from previous episodes that these boots are made out of recycled human waste. So, you know, that there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Interesting.
1: You know, Abby, I'm glad you brought up the blood thing because that is a really neat nuance. And I agree. This portrayal by Jeffrey Combs of Krem was fantastic. And Peter, I'm with you about this negotiations. I love to see the crew improvising together and their teamwork, being able to read each other with this clever bluffing and planning. And Archer does some really great bluffing here. He sizes up the Ferengi quickly. And even though he's getting beat up like he did in the Andorian incident, he still thinks very quickly on his feet to figure out exactly what to say to these guys with the gold bars and the 50%, 20%, 30% like you said Peter and when he says to Ulysses no deal i'd rather you take the women and go archer was really banking on his instincts knowing that they wouldn't go for yes. that like that was a really risky bluff i thought but archer felt so confident in his bluff and also you know to paul's also misleading them with the scanners and all of that so I really enjoyed this teamwork by the crew thinking on their
2: feet. Right. right. There was also that one scene with uh, right around this time when Archer and Krem went back in to get the next batch. And then uh, Krem was asking about, about T'Pol. So Archer was kind of sort of criticizing the Vulcan. So that was a uh, sort of semi-humorous. That was kind of a little bit funny. <laughs> I don't think he knew that T'Pol was listening at that time because I just wasn't sure if he, because trip kind of woke her up, but I, I wasn't sure if Archer knew that. So, so that was a, a little bit of a funny, uh, a funny quick shot that actually comes back to haunt him, you know, all the way at the end.
0: Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I wondered about that too. Well, and in that scene, we can't forget that that's also when Trip makes the comment of, you know, guy's just here in his underwear, <laughs> and you assume the worst. Like, mm-hmm. That was just a beautiful little three-line exchange between <laughs> T'Pol and Trip. And it shows growth. I mean, they would never have been able to do that or understand that it was not critique, but observation. Just a few episodes ago, I love how the relationship between our big three has grown in just this, you know, three quarters of this season. It's really Mm -hmm. nice to see that even in episodes like this, they're, they're showing that growth.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And that reminds me of that sickbay fake-out scene at the end of Shadows of Pajam, where, again, they're reading each other's cues and figuring out how to improvise together. I love this crew. All right, friends. So now we're in the meat of the episode, that middle-to-end section, where Archer, Trip, and T'Pol are all in cahoots together. Archer's trying to sway Krem. Porthos gets involved, bay is involved, Trip and Archer fight together. Peter, what are your thoughts on this stuff?
2: Oh, uh, well, uh, lots of lots of different stuff going on at lots of different places. A couple of things uh, jumped to mind, and one of them was uh, in the in engineering with uh, Archer and with Krem. And this was actually more of a way the shot was composed. Uh, This was the one when Archer was continuing to try to convince Krem to, you know, to help him. And he was, Archer and Krem were in the background of the scene. And in the foreground of the scene was actually a uh, railing or a barrier. But the way that it was shot, they were actually the the railing was between Archer and Krem. So there's like almost like a boundary between the two of them. So, uh, so each one is in their own little sort of rectangle. So that was interesting. The way the sort of the scene was composed, up, wasn't sure if they wanted to say that they were, you know, still apart or, you know, there it was, it was a sort of symbolism uh, from that, or maybe I'm just reading, you know, too deep into, into that, but that was an interesting, interesting component. I mean, this section, there was just a, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of things happening, a lot of, you yeah, everyone kind of doing things together. One thing I wasn't sure was whether they had a, you know, they talked about what the plan is because I didn't recall the scene in which they were, you know, saying they're going to do this, they're going to do this, they're going to do this. So, but they were doing it. And in my head, I thought they had the scene sort of off camera <laughs> in which they talked about what the plan is, sort of the planning meeting, and then they started to execute it. <laughs> it, it was interesting and it helped move, move things along too get the conclusion. The other thing that I wasn't sure about was in Tapal, in, on the bridge with the scanners, because there were three scanners and she had the distraction with the alarm and then she took one, but then the other two ended up in uh, Ulysses' bag. But I wasn't sure if she put it in there because I thought Ulyss had it. So I just couldn't tell. I, tried, I watched it a couple of times to try to figure out how that worked, but that was just a sort of a question that i had that i wasn't sure how that worked but but it was effective and it, it started to get the the ferengi to you know continue to uh, sort of question each other and sort of be suspicious of each other
1: yeah i love the way that to paul got the ferengi to question one another like that peter and if you look really carefully you can see that she has this kind of satisfied look on her face
0: <laughs> oh yes
1: that she has that to paul <laughs> mm, i'm good Look, because she's so happy that they're doing that. I-, I loved that. And I really liked the sick bay scene when they were trying to figure out where the vault is. And one thing I did notice was that the writers of this episode are the same writers who wrote Dear Doctor. And I love that they threw in this Mank reference when mm-hmm. Yeah, when Muke says, What do you think I am? A Mank? And it also reminded me that in Dear Doctor, I believe the Valakians did mention that they had an interaction with the Ferengi. Yep. And I loved that continuity of the writers putting something in from their previous episode. I really, I really like these writers. They've written some good ones. And like you said, Abby, we see the Ferengi whip again in this part. And gosh, that is, that's a pretty scary weapon. And Ulyss is a pretty intense guy. I mean, Ethan Phillips does a really good job. Oh yes, portraying Ulyss.
0: I thought. <laughs> How about you, Abby? What are your thoughts? Well, here's what I'm going to say back to Peter talking about the discussion of the plan that took place off camera. Mm-hmm. What I was noticing in this episode is that it feels like I bet it ran long. I bet it took longer to show what they did than they thought it was because I also thought like. When Archer tells Trip when he can't get him unlocked, I've got an idea, but you're going to need some help. And then all of a sudden that he's getting to Paul woken up and all this. I'm guessing that they went through all of this off camera or maybe that they had more in that scene because it almost felt like that scene had a really abrupt cutoff. So I'm wondering if they didn't have to cut some of that for time. And I thought the same thing at the end. It just felt like an episode that if it had had five more minutes, like if it had been on streaming, like we have now, it could have been a 50-minute episode instead of a a 44-and-a-half-minute episode, and it would have made just that little bit of difference in there. But that being said, I loved how it showed them doing some of the things, not just the scanners, but I love watching Trip put that security lock on the door Mm -hmm. and turning it on so it looked like there was going to be something important back there. That was so nice, and that's that same lock that we see on the door to Daniel's quarters back in cold front. And it's so, you know, that's a really important moment right there. And I thought that was fun to see. I was wondering about all the produce that ended up (laughs) on the Ferengi ship when they're (laughs) moving stuff. Like they, they must either have a really good like hydroponics or aeroponics bay, or they get a lot of alien produce A lot of places because it was a huge fruit basket, which is just me being the enterprise food nerd again. But what I really wanted to talk about was the play acting fight between Trip and Archer. Like that is just so them in a nutshell, whether or not they had fully prepared that as part of the plan. I don't know, but you could also kind of see them feeling it out with each other. And one of those little details that I noticed again that I loved is when Trip charges Archer and they knock down a whole bunch of those crates and bins and storage containers. You can see both of the guys reaching an arm out, not to hit each other, but to knock over stuff Mm. to make even more of a distraction. And once I noticed that, I was like, oh, geez, they are just so in sync. And it was a beautiful little moment that shows that friendship and that, again, the unspoken is just as important. And this is where they are growing to as this family on the ship. And I just loved it.
1: You know, Abby, that is so observant of you and insightful. When I watch this again, I want to look for that, <laughs> what you said about them planning their fight that way. And I loved that scene, too, when Trip, again, is thinking on his feet. Everyone's coming up with this stuff so quickly about Hoshi being his wife and them playing off each other. That was really great. One part of this episode, this is the part of the episode, I just have to say this, no matter how many times I watch this episode, every time Porthos gets put in that box... And I know he's going to be OK, but every single time there's no holes in that box for him to breathe. I know it gives me so much anxiety because he's in there for a
0: while. And I just want to say that bums me out. I think the same thing every time as well. I'm like, come on, don't <laughs> let you close. No, there's not enough air for that puppy. Well, and one last little bit about this part that is not at all important, but makes me smile every time, is when Trip is walking the Ferengi around the ship to kind of get them to the vault, but take a while to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it that he gets his keep your shirt on line that we've heard a few times throughout, because it's just nice. All of us who know it smile, <laughs> and, and people who don't know it don't think it sounds out of character. Mm-hmm. So, bravo, writer. <laughs> yeah.
1: I took a note on that too, Abby. I love that line.
2: Yeah. There was also that scene around that time when Archer, his uh, facial expressions when Krem was trying to show some initiative mm-hmm. to, to Ulyss. So I noticed he you know, had a small little nod. Yes. He you know, was like a little sense of satisfaction that some of what Archer has been talking to Krem about over the last hour is finally sinking in. But then a few seconds later, when Krem acquiesced to you this then he then then asha had this grimace face and said oh you know like missed it again so yes so there was like little subtle facial acting that scott Bacula had that so amusing to watch while while everything was happening
0: i noticed that exact same moment and i also noticed when he was trying to make a deal with Krem and say well you know we can do this and 50-50 and he doesn't take him up on it. And, and he goes, your <laughs> it's your loss. And I was like, oh, that is disappointed Archer face right there. That's yeah. your gift right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm with both of you. I noticed those as well. And I love those facial expressions. Archer's staying in character for crim throughout the whole thing. And those are some fantastic nuances when he has that disappointed look you were talking about, Peter, and then the encouraging look, and that was great. So let's talk about the finale, the end of the episode where they outsmart the Ferengi, and then we have that great scene at the end on the Ferengi ship. And of course, oh, I forgot, we have T'Pol and her nerve pinch. So this ending part, what are your thoughts, Peter?
2: Sure, well, uh, I mean, T'Pol with the nerve pinch, it was, probably a little bit too long, uh, so I didn't really like that part of it, except for the nerve pitch at the end. I did like her line in which she criticized the humans, saying they were a terrible race, they were deceitful, they were cruel. So this actually kind of circles back to Archer's line from earlier that we talked about. So it was sort of her, I think, her <laughs> little way of kind of throwing something back at him, even though he wasn't you know, really there, but I think that was given could have been a little bit shorter and just sort of cut to the, you know, cut to the nerve pitch, but, but oh, well, <laughs> I did like, you know, once everything was over and when, well, when Tapal was about to release Archer and, you know, that's when she was again, you know, giving him a little bit of a hard time. I actually wanted Archer to say something like, you know, I know he first offered I think, five bars of gold and then I wanted him to, you know, offer 10, you know, kind of like keep that, friendy spirit, at least a few more minutes longer uh, before she released it, but I think she just he went back to sort of the federation mode and and just you know made a captain's decision to <laughs> uh, orders to to get out of those handcuffs. but yeah, but I think it was a good uh, conclusion and kind of wrap things up wrap things up well in a comedic way, but sort of keeping in the spirit of this whole episode and the whole story
1: yeah, I thought the scene with him ordering her to undo the handcuffs was pretty funny. That
0: was great and it shows how comfortable
1: they are together as it's been happening throughout the season.
0: Yeah, I agree with the whole to Paul dangling the keys thing. I have to say that she's got some flair with the keys. like when she first takes them from Krem, she does the little like wrist flip and when she's showing them archer, she's dangling them. We've talked in just the past few episodes, especially in Fusion, about how she's a Vulcan where her emotions are closer to the surface, and she's got a sense of humor, a very, very, very dry humor, but it's there. And I think that she is showing the captain that she cares by doing this, and that's a really nice moment. It's definitely light, but it it means a lot underneath it. So deep lightness, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have to say, the Umak scene, I agree. It's too long. It feels like it goes too far. And I always wonder when she opens up that container and she takes a single weapon, would you not take all four? Because there were four in there. Like, just take all four. You don't know when you're going to need another one or when you have an opportunity. But I have to say, the fact that that scene was as long as it was made for at the end, when they're on the Ferengi ship, and Krem makes one more plea to her that, you know, you get a massive fortune, you'd make a great wife. And she doesn't have to say a thing. She doesn't raise an eyebrow. She doesn't change facial expression. She just turns around and walks away. And that is a mic drop moment. So mm-hmm. I will take the uncomfortably long umax scene to get that walk away because it was absolutely hilarious. And I have to say the last bit here, I like that the, the Enterprise Groove makes the Ferengi put all the stuff back. It's just the most fitting. It's like I work with young kids, so you have to say, you know, the consequence should be a natural consequence. If you take something out, you have to put it back. And that's exactly what they got. You took all this time taking it out now I'll put it all back. And it just seems like for a light episode, that was the right way for it to end. I mean, they could have put them in the brig. They could have, taking them back to Starfleet, but they just let them fix the mistake and go away. And I I really liked that because if it had ended differently, it would have changed the whole tone of the episode. And this was a good light 75% of the way through the season break that we really needed.
1: Yeah, I love when they have them put everything back and then they're putting that big, huge, heavy injector or whatever that was, <laughs> and he drops it on his hand. Yep. <laughs> and they're just following them around under gunpoint. That was awesome. I agree with both of you that the Umak scene was a bit much, but I love that mic drop moment you mentioned, Abby. <laughs> and I really liked, I don't know if I'm really reading this correctly, if Archer really meant to do this or it, Just was clever and cute. But I kind of like how Archer stuck up for Krem at the end there, letting Krem have some power there. And I thought that was a really neat way to end it, the way Krem did show his initiative at the end. I really liked that. It's a very
0: Archer move.
1: (laughs) So before we end this section and move into our picks, are there any final thoughts of anything you wanted to share about the episode that you didn't get a chance to?
2: Peter? Yeah, I think overall, I mean, like I said before, I, I enjoyed it because of the lightheartedness and the special Trek guests that, that appeared. I think the kind of one thing about the show is that it was really more of a you know, standalone episode. It didn't really link to anything. It didn't connect to anything. So it was more of kind of like its own little adventure. So, and during an incident, Shadows of the Gem, you know, they had story arcs. The Temporal Cold War had their arcs. The, uh, even some of the other standalones had kind of a thought or a goal like Dear Doctor, Shuttle Pod 1. I think those kind of a little bit on the higher rankings. Uh, this episode, and while it was it was more comical, so it didn't really have any of of those types of themes that you could kind of grab and say, oh, you know, shut up one. That was when, you know, Tripp and Malcolm by themselves and you know, they learn a lot about each other. Like, yeah, here, doctor, you know, flocks and learn something. So here it wasn't really habit, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. I mean, that you know, some episodes, I guess we need that once in a while to have that. But that was just one thing I noticed uh, with this particular one. Yeah, my
0: only thing is not nearly that deep, Peter. I was just thinking about how, again, in this episode, they mention Chef and we see Chef's handiwork in a bountiful way this episode. And I I always wonder if we had seen the actual galley in this episode, not just the mess hall, would we have seen (laughs) Chef's feet like we do later in the catwalk? I mean, they obviously go out of their way to keep Chef a mystery. But they mention you know, even stealing Chef because the sandwich is good. So it just makes me smile. It's another one of those little in-jokes for the enterprise lovers.
1: Yeah, I love that in-joke about Chef. I really want to see Chef, but I'm glad that they left it that way because that was some good intrigue. My final thoughts are, once again, I just want to highlight the guest cast. I really feel that each actor got the personality traits of their particular Ferengi across where you could really see where they were coming from. And I thought Clint Howard was really great, too, as Muke. Like, he was pretty intense. They were all so good. And lastly, once again, I just want to say how much I love this teamwork of the crew. And even though the Ferengi are portrayed as campy and silly, and we don't really take them seriously that they can really harm us, every time there is that chance of them leaving in a shuttlecraft or taking the women, you know, that's when Trip thought up the Hoshi thing, like they prevented any possible serious, our crew was able to prevent any serious consequences every time there was a threat of them leaving or taking the women or whatever. So I love the way our crew worked
2: together. Yeah, I think any, uh, any episode that has that, I think is kind of a winner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that means we've arrived at our Porthos's pick, which is our favorite part of the episode. Peter, what's your favorite part?
2: My favorite part is actually the uh, literal Porthos pick when Muke and Grish was asking Porthos uh, where the gold was, and then Muke uh, picked him up. So it was just, uh, I got a good chuckle out of that scene. In the beginning, they were expecting to have him answer <laughs> before they realized. You know that she wouldn't be able to answer. So that was uh, funny, uh, a funny and the favorite part of mine.
1: I love that part. I love when they say, look at the size of its ears. <laughs> <laughs> and when they're, when they're asking Porthos, where's the vault? My translator won't walk on to its language. I
0: absolutely love that part also. I love, Peter, that you literally picked a Porthos pick that is so perfect. My Porthos pick for the night is the Ferengi costumes. They were amazing. We were talking about how the guest cast made all of their characters come alive. Because of their acting, well, the costumes did the same thing. They were all very Ferengi, but very individual as well. And they had so many good details. And like I said before, I had watched the last output, the TNG episode, where the next time we see them in the timeline, you could see the connections there. But you could also see the growth for where it goes to DS9. And it was just, I mean, we even saw their striped socks close up. It was so neat to see the different fabrics, the colors, the patterns, the embellishments. They were gorgeous. So bravo to those Ferengi costumes this time.
1: Yeah, those were spectacular. Really detailed, really amazing. I agree.
2: And also related to the costumes, in the beginning when I was watching it, I was getting a little confused as to, you know, the different Ferengi. So I ended up using the colors and the costumes that they were wearing as a way to identify how each one in each of the different scenes so I used it to and that was very helpful to have so that was uh, a a great pick to have there
1: My pick I actually thought of Porthos as well Peter mm-hmm. so I'm so glad you chose it I loved the scene with Porthos in Archer's quarters and of course the scene at the end when he gets him out of the box is so adorable when he says oh Porthos that was so cute <laughs> so, I'm going to choose my other Porthos pick because I had another thing that I love, which is after Crem is touching to Paul's ear and drooling over to Paul, when she stands up and says, There are times I wish Vulcans hadn't learned to repress their violent tendencies. I love that line.
0: I wonder if I wasn't channeling this episode back in Fusion where I was wishing she had let her violent tendencies out. So, yes, that is a perfect to Paul moment in there. Accessing library computer
2: data.
1: Well, it's time to share some trivia. Peter, what can you tell us about acquisition?
2: I do have actually a couple of uh, little tidbits of trivia for this episode. The first actually is related to trip in instead of his usual red engineering uniform that he wears. In this episode, he wore a blue science uniform. Also, in a later episode, he's going to be wearing a gold captain's uniform in Twilight. So that means that he would, is the only crew member on Enterprise that wears the uniforms of all three divisions at least once on the show. So that, I found that to be interesting. That's cool. And then the, the second trivia I have is related to one of the guest stars, to Clint Howard. He's the one who plays Muke. This was his third of four guest appearances on the Star Trek franchise. He actually started Star Trek with TOS as he was playing uh, Baylock in the Kobanite maneuver. Then he was on DS9 as Grady in past tense. This is his third episode in Enterprise. And then he was most recently in Discovery. In the season one finale, Will You Take My Hand, when he played Orion. So between his first appearance on TOS and his most recent one on Discovery, it was actually about 51 years between that time period. So he's an alumni of Star Trek a few times over.
1: That's amazing. He was so great in might Maneuver. What a long, long career. He is Ron Howard's brother, correct?
2: Yes, he is Ron Howard's brother. He also had a uh, acting career that has a lot of, you know, different credits. I actually remember him in in Apollo 13 right around the mid-90s when he was one of the members of the controlling team on uh, in NASA. So that was uh, interesting.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. Very cool. Abby, what do you have? So I have a nice short and sweet one here, but you'll never unsee it once you see it. The Ferengi pad that's used in DS9 over and over and over again, most notably in Quark's bar, is used here in Enterprise as a Ferengi scanner, but all they really did was add a couple LED lights.
1: Very interesting.
0: I have two tonight also. The
1: first one is, because this is an earlier time frame, there are only 173 rules of acquisition in this episode. hmm <laughs> But by the 24th century, there are 285 rules of acquisition. So I thought that was interesting. And lastly, once again, the writers of this episode, Maria and André Jacques Maton, they are the ones who came up with this Ferengi language. It was created specifically for this episode, and they based it on the French language. And I thought that was very
0: interesting. That is really interesting because... As much time as we spent listening to just the Ferengi language in this episode, I noticed that it didn't sound like any of the other languages in Trek that we've heard before. So, so interesting to know that it was based off of French and that's probably why.
2: Yeah, and I think that gives another kudos to the four guest stars who were playing the Ferengi this, in this episode because they had to you know, learn or be able to speak a language that really didn't exist. <laughs> So it was. So they have these lines and these phonics and inflections that, uh, yes, that that is just made up for this episode. But they were, you know, able to do it for a long time for relative, you know, the ten fifteen minutes at the beginning of the episode. That's so. That's another uh, great job they did there.
1: Absolutely. Transfer of data is complete. Well, we've arrived at our Vulcan's verdict. On a scale of 1 to 10 grapplers, how are you rating Acquisition, Peter?
2: Well, I rate the episode a 6 out of 10. Best part were the strong guest stars that were in this episode. But I also felt that because it really wasn't sort of anything substantial or permanent that happened at the end, you know, there wasn't a a payoff. So that was the reason uh, why I had that rating.
1: Okay, we have a 6
0: on the table. How about Abby? Well, you know, this episode was kind of silly, over-the-top fun, but again, like I said at the beginning, I don't mind it. I don't mind th- the hand-waving, the conceit, the Ferengi were well done. Everyone chews the scenery and does big performances, and they obviously enjoyed themselves doing it, plus the great guest stars. I think that in this part of the season where we're at, this one really stands out as kind of a breath of fresh air. So 7.5 of 10 grapplers for me.
1: Yeah. So for me, for my rating, was it campy? Yes. Was it silly? Yes. Was it fun? Yes. I find it entertaining. I think there are some comical moments. The performances were great. I really liked Archer in this episode with his scenes as well. I thought that Jeffrey Combs did a great job. I did not like the way he was treated by the other Ferengi, which made him somewhat of a vulnerable and sympathetic character to me but at the same time there's that ickiness and treatment of the women so I kept debating between seven and seven and a half this entire time maybe leaning towards seven but ultimately I do agree with you Abby what you said this is a bright spot in season one of Enterprise for me also So my final rating is a 7.5 out of 10 grapplers. We want to thank our friend, Peter Hong. Peter, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was so much fun and so wonderful to chat with you and to talk about enterprise and acquisition. Thank you for being here. And why don't you let our listeners know again how to find you on social media?
2: Sure. Well, first of all, I just wanted to thank you, Melanie and Abby for having me. I really enjoyed talking about Enterprise and about this episode. I'm honored to be asked so uh, to be on your show. So thank you very much. The best way to reach me is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at PeterTrek1, the number one. So feel free to connect uh, with me over there and, you know, we could chat about all things Trek. I also like to give a quick plug for the Trek Book Club on Twitter. Over there, we read Star Trek novels and we discuss uh, one over uh, every month and a half uh, over a weekend, Twitter. So if you're interested, uh, just check out the Twitter handle, which is at Trek Book Club. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, it was
1: our pleasure. We loved having you here. And thank you for mentioning the Trek Book Club. Definitely check that out, people. And Peter is a great follow on Twitter. And if you'd like to continue the discussion with us, you can reach us at First Flight Pod on Twitter instagram
0: and facebook and abby what's the best way to reach you best way to find me is on twitter i'm at abby m summer that's s-o-m-m-e-r
1: we want to thank you all for spending this time with us and we'll be back next time with oasis the 19th episode of season one and as always we leave you with this quote from captain jonathan archer The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us. Woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other.